0: In this, the closing talk of the Retreat Together, we'd like to speak about some of the areas, some of the primary areas for consideration with regard to the the daily life situation. And one of the things which becomes increasingly more of a consideration with regard to to these practices and to a certain approach to life is the premise for it is the validity of it within the context of the daily life situation and this in fact for us here in the west more and more signals a departure um, and quite a noticeable one might say radical departure from the, from the historical approach. The historical approach has been one primarily and certainly noticeably in Asian society that men and women committed to spirituality have to some extent withdrawn through the monastic order into a very particularised and specialised way of life. This certainly, as some of us have experienced in the East, has had its advantages for lay people. And as an example of this, if one has spent time in rural Thailand, where there are wats, that is, monasteries of ongoing practice there, where the monks and nuns are engaged in practice, It really does have a supportive and beneficial impact on the local people, on the people who live round in the village nearby. There is much more harmony in the village, much more metta, loving-kindness, in the village and a more um, wholesome relationship. And that is quite distinct from other villages where there isn't the presence of monks and nuns as an ongoing reminder of the spiritual life and it has and does tend to be much more discord and conflict and tension so the order the monastic order in a very real way where there is practice taking place provides a genuinely true service to to people but this departure which is taking place in the transmission from the East to the West is very noticeable insofar as we are attempting, and this is the the heart of it, we are attempting to integrate into our life, into our social, personal life, what some people amusingly call the real world, We are attempting to integrate these practices uh, into that life and that's a a major departure from what the historical process has been and to quite some degree all of us are still very much at work with that practice of integration. And the very characteristic of practices, spiritual practices and including meditation is such that it must leave no stone unturned and therefore it includes our personal life, the the field of self-knowledge, self-understanding, the working on ourselves and all that's (coughs) implied in that both both physically and and mentally and spiritually speaking. No stone unturned means our relationship to others and particularly in the field of the close personal relationship where so much emotion and feeling is at work on an ongoing basis. And sometimes that area, the areas of difficulty can reflect, say when we are a son or a daughter in relationship to our parents and that can be a major area of Difficulty, or as a parent to children, or in the close personal relationship of man to man, or man to man to woman, all of these are woman to woman. These various forms of relationship, which through the period, usually through the period of time in which the closeness becomes established, there's more and more feeling there, also becomes an enormous challenge on us to live in a reasonably harmonious and integrated way and certainly in some of these areas and that's one of the areas is such where some of the practices and the, and the applications of meditation and technique can certainly help but also there's a need for exploration to see and develop other tools and resources to gain an understanding of what's happening inside of us. So meditation may help and does help towards equanimity, towards being aware of identification, towards the the willingness to work with situations, to the cultivation of spiritual disciplines, but sometimes we need, in fact, more than that. And, And this can be in areas where we feel more vulnerability. And so there is a certain kind of marriage, one might say, taking place and a very valuable marriage between the resources which the East has and has developed over the years of a practical uh, approach to life with the employment of methods and techniques and that marriage going hand in hand with the resources that the West is developing with regard to therapy and its insights into psychological processes and the influences of the unconscious, etc. And these two can weave together very, very well, so that in our life, at the personal level, we explore ways and means to work with what we're feeling, with what we're experiencing, and with content. And as the, as the deepening in one's life begins to take take place, one does get more and more a sense and a clarity that it's not so much working things out, but rather one has more f- trust and faith and confidence in one's own mind, and then the practice undergoes a way of just a gradual uh, deepening within oneself in which The contents of mind are not so much of a priority. Thinking is just thinking. Feeling is just feeling. Ideas are just ideas. And one sees that kind of movement and meditation practice begins to take on another kind of import, another uh, reference for oneself. (coughs) And what that means, I feel in a... our daily life situation is the importance and the willingness to really explore. Now if one is having particular difficulties and one recognises inside of oneself in one's life one doesn't have the resources, the, the, the knowledge, the expertise, the understanding to deal with something and it's a persistent cause of suffering in one's life. The recognition of that, the awareness of that must be bring some course of action one has to find out ways and means to work with this and sometimes it means the necessity, and not always easy, to find people who know, who, who can work and uh, clarify and give one the trust and confidence in oneself to see through things so this, this and this means that in one's life, and that doesn't necessarily mean going into therapy, though it it may mean that, sometimes it's just connecting with somebody, connecting with a friend who one senses does have a reasonable degree of balance and and objectivity, who can give one the feedback in such a way that you and I are actually able to hear it and respond to it. So when there's a lot of pain in one's life for all the reasons and, and it's not clearing find the person who's going to contribute to clarifying the situation for oneself. Make that contact. Now that kind of contact in the traditional language equally is important in the past as in the present is called the contact with the sangha. And we, we don't have a, an English uh, equivalent for it but the contact with like-minded people. And if I may say, I I put that in one's life, in one's uh, daily life or in the social reality as such that it needs to have the highest priority. I put it above all else. and. I see from my uh, observations and connections with people that people who experience the most difficulties in life, and life is very, can be very painful and difficult, the people experience the most, it seems to occur when the person feels alienated, and the person experiences loneliness, no one to connect with. And all of us can give and be a truly a good friend to each other in that regard. Not everybody needs contact with others. But if a person doesn't need it but is well established, just being available, making the contact on, be- on behalf of others is an expression of one's love, an expression of one's understanding. And sometimes that means that some people, in feeling cut off and isolated and you have to make changes in their life sometimes it's work changes sometimes it changes where one lives and the like-minded people is not somebody who, who sits every day and meditates it's, it's too narrow uh, a, perce- a perception of like, like-minded people it is people who care inwardly and outwardly, they, those people, are the like-minded people. And where there is, a, as I mentioned, the trust and the confidence, then making that uh, connection. And, and rather unfortunately, I, I feel, and I feel this is a, has a wider implication, that there is a small and growing and increasingly... Quietly, more influential movement taking place within our society, and to some extent it's bo- I mean it's born out of the social reality, to some extent, it's born out of those who have been to the East and have come back to the West, of making in some contribution to change in our society and feel as I feel and others, friends feel, that there is within this movement towards change an increasing urgency about it. The world is tortured in its conflict, in its oppression, in its, in its exploitation, in its injustice, in its, in its unfairness. And ways and means are being explored to change this reality which you and I live with and suffer with. And the alternatives are being found in healing, in, in medicine, in education, in religious life, in spirituality, in lifestyles, in exercise, etc. And the East is certainly contributing very significantly, one might say, the cream of the milk in the East is these various practices, and gradually having more influence because people are saying, yes, this is helping, this is really of value. And that that means that it doesn't have to be narrow-minded and sectarian and prejudiced, but it can be something which, as it does, increasingly gains expression. IMS here is one expression of that. And within that, with that approach to health, to a more holistic way of living, towards uh, inquiry and change, one is actually engaged in protest, I would say, against some of the things which we see in our society. And a society which is so restricted and narrowed by the principle of living life for producing and consuming and making that the the, the prime a primary reason for one's existence that when people when we begin to change and work a- on ourselves the value system within ourselves begins to be such that that isn't the priority for life but our society and uh, has a has as a primary interest produce more consume more produce more consume more and it lives and dies and suffers tragically on this as the primary value. So finding ways in our life to look at ourselves, to see, because we need to produce, we need to consume, but to see, is this my reason to be? Does this have an exaggerated emphasis in my existence? And what that means the loss of the beauty of life through living in that way. So one is this, this exploring various areas of life, recognising the the resources and the limitations which we have. It is making contact with uh, like-minded people, giving a priority to that. Because it does seem to me that one of the larger implications of that is that the movement towards meaningful change in life and, and all that is implied in that at the present time lacks a cohesion. I kind of think about it, just been thinking about it a little bit. There you have, I've just had a look at today's paper, half a dozen pages are filled up with um, I don't know too much about these things, um, the Republican Convention which is going on uh, this this week. And um, one may have, some of us anyway, may have a job assimilating the various uh, views and opinions uh, about life and about uh, what we ought to do, etc., etc. And, and yet, what one also notices within these uh, conventions and this large body of people, even though it's only a, a minority in, in, within the country, but a significant minority of people who put a uh, president and a certain set of views into power, that rather unfortunately there's not a, a cohesiveness within what some of us might describe, what we would describe as in England, as the alternative movement, the alternative ways of looking. And so where there is concern, say, for the peace movement, for the rights of animals, for the exploration of roles, for the, the, the rights of women, for the environmental concerns, it's still and the spiritual realities and the spiritual changes, it's all too fragmented. It just doesn't come together as a cohesive body. And since there isn't, and one of the values of it, since there isn't leaders and someone at the top who is dictating, it's more a grassroots movement of sharing and exploring together, it doesn't get focalized in a personality or one or two personalities but it still doesn't have the empowerment that it can have through a collective expression. And that's still to happen. It's still, in, certainly in England and, uh, and Europe, and what one uh, senses and sees here, it is still far too fragmented. And so there's a work taking place and hopefully we'll see this develop, if it's not too late, with a work taking place to really integrate the inner life that we have to change and work on ourselves inwardly with the outer. So that, there's a, as it were, there's a re-examination of our value system in which the inner is given consideration, such as a facility here, with the outer reality. There are small expressions of this. And some of the groups are expressing an increasing willingness, and I find it in my own life as well, um, an increasing willingness to, to work with the inner and the outer. Because what has tended to happen, and to some extent, the late 60s, early 70s, and the later, p- latter part of the cent- uh, 70s, kind of reflected the situation. A strong mobilization of concern and action with regard to the Vietnam and anti-war movement. That petering out, the focus stopped because the war stopped, but the weapons still didn't go away etc. And then coming within the 70s, more inner awareness and reflected through various centres, through the upsurge of therapy, questioning, through holistic methods. And it seems to me that the time is here to bring the inner and the outer together. That what has happened has been the polarisation Over centuries of polarization. And now is the time to, to bring these two realities, inner and outer, into a state of a marriage. And within Buddhism, which frankly has been notorious, I feel, notoriously passive and has taken far too much, historically, of an insular life view instead of a truly expansive one, is waking up to this. And there's much more talk and and energy and interest in bringing the skills and resources that Buddhism has into the, the social, political reality. And particularly in the field of nonviolence, where the inner work and the outer work and that, that, that two-and-a-half-thousand-year-old message of living free from violence in one's life takes on its own value and significance. Just a little example. Just a few months ago, um, I was asked to... Um, be on the uh, International Advisory Board for the Buddhist Peace Fellowship which was established and started here in, uh, in the States and particularly on the, the West Coast through uh, Aitken Roshi in Hawaii and Gary Schneider and uh, Joanna Macy and others who, recognizing some years ago the necessity for... Uh, inner and outer work to start going hand in hand form the Peace Fellowship and and now it's gone from a primarily uh, uh, one of being just here in North America now to England and to Europe and elsewhere and just the establishing of that people see inner peace and outer peace, outer peace and inner peace. And it's not therefore, I'm not saying therefore everyone should go into politics and to peace work and become a peace activist, but you could. (laughs) 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 But rather the appreciation, the recognition, where possible, um, just giving support to, to these kind of movements which are taking place whether it's the, the support through a subscription whether it's support through being taking part in a demonstration or a letter or whatever but just finding we, ways and means to express one's concern so that somehow or other our small voices of concern become in our society a shout for change and that will only come through the collective body of men and women who look and see the realities but also with with regard to the inner and the outer at the inner and personal level creating and finding time for meditation practice and to to use that some situations is not at all easy in one's daily life situation and speaking as a parent I can (laughs) state that quite clearly (laughs) that again within a daily life situation if one has time and opportunity then to establish a sitting practice, maybe sitting in the morning or in the evening or or when one has uh, time or just going to a weekly sitting group and there are more and more being established and it doesn't matter which group really in, you know, it, it, may, if on, it can be on a Sunday morning to sit with the Society of Friends the, the Quakers who are so like-minded in vision as uh, Buddhist practices um, to sit with uh, Zen people just, just to sit, sit anywhere and just a great time to, uh, f- uh, for that and when there are talks and workshops taking place putting out the energy to connect, it helps to keep these things going. They depend totally upon the presence of people. And sometimes a person or two people just make a day for meditation. Write a timetable, perhaps listen to uh, a tape talk or a piece of music and just have a, a meditative day. And that can be obviously very healthy and uh, beneficial for oneself and beneficial within the context of a, of a relationship. But these things happen because someone says, let's make it happen. And for that, one, as we see, what does one need? One needs necessarily a, a cushion and a few feet to walk up and down and most of us can find both of those. And, and again, it's just, it's up to you, it's up to me that we create time uh, to establish these things, and si- <clears throat> similarly, with regard to places like the the center here there's as uh, Carol mentioned there 's a, a staff of fifteen people, and it 's really a team of people that we have our respective uh, functions here, and some like ourselves it 's talking and listening, and others people 's functions is In the various uh, uh, responsibilities for running of the place. And without the various people and the staff of 15, the place couldn't possibly run. And so, people out of who have come, usually the situation has been the person has come here for a period of time, engaged in some practice, feel some benefit from that, and feeling benefit. Wishes, to, uh, wishes others also to have the benefit. And so the person takes out a period of time out of their life and, and really provides some real service to people. It keeps the place functioning and gives other people the opportunity. And that happens because the staff said, I'm willing to live in a rather enclosed situation for a period of time with a small group of people in a work which isn't easy and there's a lot of pressure and demand and all of that to work with in order that people can come and practice, in order that us here, we can come and teach. And again, if you have uh, um, some time or you can create time and as you know, time asked for is, is a year and what does what is a year? <laughs> Just comes and goes... Just Just like that, and if one can create the, the time in one 's life for both for the great benefit that people uh, find themselves being on the staff and providing a service for others, um, please bear that in mind and sometimes it may not be possible the reality of one 's life, but again, there are many other situations where one may be able to provide some kind of service to Help these things continue in a warm and uh, loving and open-minded way. Um. Within, finally, uh, so within the context of the talk, the contact with like-minded, the regularity of of um, meditations, finding time for retreat and personal retreat and perhaps once a year coming and participating in, in a group retreat situation here finding to uh, ways and means to develop service and to give supp- give re- support an ongoing support through the ver- to the various groups who are concerned and some of the groups are doing extraordinarily fine work one of the groups which immediately comes to mind for me uh, is um, Greenpeace and just in reading about their activities and really about their courage uh, it's people who we talk about stretching ourselves and people, some of the people in the Greenpeace and some of them have uh, been here and on um, retreats uh, elsewhere the courage which they express in their work I mean some of those people are really laying their life out on the line when they, when they go out on, t- on, on the ocean, when they um, get in the way of these nuclear dumps in, in, into the ocean, when they confront the whalers, when, as they did recently, climbed up one morning up to the top of uh, Big Ben, you know, this big clock tower by Parliament, and stayed up there the whole day, you know, freezing cold, protesting about the, um, the, the nuclear arms race. And these people extend, extend themselves and, and find ways and means to, to do that. And again, giving, finding ways to give support to the various groups who express their concern in a, in a very courageous way. And just recently, some friends, and one of them who did a three-month retreat here, Working to conserve, to save a rain tropical rainforest in Australia, and these rainforests, which are being destroyed left, right, and centre by the various uh, interests, and they formed their protest by climbing the trees in the in the rainforest, so that the trees couldn't be cut down. And you know that situation does may not be the best form of protest, but it and it, cre- it tends obviously to create a uh, a situation of tension between two groups of people with, with different interests and one day the the driver of one of these uh, tractors just got infuriated and just rammed his truck his tractor against the trees and shook them out of the trees they were 60 feet up it's just the expression where, where of the tension and the difficulties which have been faced. And just miraculously they as they fell out of the trees, they broke their fall all the way down by the branches. But they won. And there was such a, a public strong public response to their their courage and their commitment to these uh, tropical rainforests. Uh, and that the, that the legislation was brought in to protect them. Now it's that kind of... That, that some, so some, there are situations in life where there is that kind of extension, but in our ordinary everyday life and in our relationship to everyday life, there are many opportunities to see into ourselves, to uh, apply genuinely a, a right awareness and a right effort to a caring relationship to life. And the only place we can begin in all honesty and in all truth, is right where we are. We have to begin in our living situation, in who we are as people, in our connections with life, with people, with creatures, and with the environment. And what I am suggesting these days more and more, please make your home centre for peace. Make it an ashram. Make it a, a spiritual centre wherever you are living. Find ways and means to bring into one's home that kind of atmosphere. A home where, where, there's, a, where there's form, where there's space, where there's care, where people are welcomed, where there's consideration for all the activities in all of the rooms in the house, make your home a center for peace. And through that people you and I and others will feel that in the very atmosphere the very vibrations the very feeling of the house of of happy to be in one's home because of what one is establishing in it. And to make these little centres of light, shall we say, in a very troubled and, and stressful world. May all beings be in touch with themselves. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings live with awareness. Just as we have been during our days together, just sitting and being present, being steady in the posture and with a a warm heart being aware of the the presence of others here in the room together During the days that we've been here together, we've passed through many ups and downs. Sometimes there has been difficulties and tensions between us. Periods of carelessness, forgetfulness. And we've all been walking along a road together. Sometimes easy and sometimes rough. Just being together in this moment in time and space. i like to refer to, to conversations which I had during the retreat. At the beginning of the retreat, one of the women on the retreat said that she had to go home, return home. Her father has cancer. And it was hoped that there would be surgery to cut out the cancer and upon arriving at home she sent a message back to say that the uh, doctors have said that the cancer is inoperable because her father has cancer in both lungs Last year, in England, 99,000 people, the size of a large town, died from lung cancer. With all the ensuing suffering for the individual, and for the loved ones Three days ago I had a telephone call from a friend and a close friend of the center Jamie Barras who teaches on the west coast Jamie and I uh, teach together Jamie rang and said that he'd received a phone call from his mother as his father appears now is in the very latter stages of cancer which has travelled from the colon into the liver And his father, very understandably, didn't wish to go and have to face going back into the hospital Wanted to spend his last period of his life at home But it was felt, because of the tremendous difficulties and stress within the home, that for him to go to spend a few days in the hospital Jamie in speaking to his father on the phone said that as soon as he arrived in New York he would come straight to the hospital and take him home By our life and our sensitivity and our respect and awareness of the body, the mind, the heart, that will bring about change. A change in diet changes in stress, in pollution, in smoking. sitting, being with each other being with the life around parents live in peace and harmony may our brothers and sisters live in peace and harmony may our daughters and sons live in peace and harmony May all those that we have contact with live in peace and harmony. May the message of peace harmony, love and compassion and the action to accompany it be the prevailing message of the earth May all beings live in peace May all beings live in harmony May all beings live in peace and harmony